Hi, this is Alyssa McNamara-Reed, and I will be your host for the next two hours. Allow me to introduce myself. I am a certified financial planner practitioner and an investment advisor. I am co-owner of McNamara Financial Services, Inc. in Marshfield, Massachusetts. McNamara Financial is a federally registered investment advisor, and by my definition anyway, is a true family business. We work with clients like you every day, regular people that need help making sound financial decisions or people that want one less thing to worry about. I work with clients for a fee based on assets that I manage or an hourly or flat fee for creating financial plans. I am not compensated via commissions unless I have the pleasure of helping someone with their insurance needs. There are some things worth paying for and perhaps a lifetime of financial security is one of them. I of course cannot guarantee that working with me will ensure a secure financial future. McNamara on Money has been a call-in talk radio show since 1990. I love hearing from listeners and there truly are no dumb questions. In fact, I like the simple questions because everyone should have the answer to those. Just don't call me asking for the next hot investment or which market is going to outperform this year. Number one, that's not the nature of this show. And number two, I have no idea. Any advice I give to a caller is meant to be generic in nature and should be verified with his or her own financial professionals. You will hear about a variety of topics on this show that relate to investments and personal finance. We try to cover topics that people can relate to regardless of their net worth or financial situation. And of course, we try to keep it interesting. I would crunch numbers for two hours or spreadsheet cash flows because I'm a total math nerd, but that wouldn't much make for good radio. Instead, I choose to educate people on topics surrounding big financial events in life, like marriage and divorce, kids in college, death of a loved one, career changes, and of course, retirement. I once heard that it is a smart man that knows what he doesn't know. I'm sure it was my dad that said that, and I'm also sure that it applies to women. That is why I invite guests onto my show that have expertise in different areas also related to personal finance. I feel it's important to note that the opinions of these professionals are not necessarily the opinions of McNamara Financial or any of its advisors. As long as we are on the subject of disclosure, I should note that while we may discuss investments and or markets on this show, that past performance is not indicative of future results. Thanks for tuning in. Okay, so our plan for today is to uh, continue discussions, discussions regarding college. So last week we had an awesome show with uh, some of the folks from Vested Academics and we talked about financial aid, we talked about um, the cost of college education, uh, we talked about a lot of awesome stuff. Kirk, you missed that show but that was a really, really good one. I listened, and, I listened um, to uh, half of it anyway on the yeah, radio. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and we did a Facebook Live and that um, got a ton of engagement on Facebook. So that was a really good one. I mean, obviously a very popular topic. Um, people are very, very curious about financial aid and the expected family contribution and um, understanding how schools give aid, merit-based aid and, and need-based aid and things like that. So that was really great. And I told uh, those people from Vested Academics that we would absolutely have them again. Um, but one of the things we didn't get to last week that I was that is uh, interrelated to that is um, options that people have for saving for education. So we just, we talked a ton about financial aid and the, and the application process and selection of schools and stuff like that. But what we didn't get into is how can parents and grandparents, um, what are the best vehicles for them to use to save for education? And there's a lot of options um, and you know, one sort of heavily favors the others, but I wanted to talk through all the different options and talk through 
um, investing dollars if saved early enough for education versus keeping it in a savings account, um, when to start saving, how much to save, you know, what, what goals should, what savings targets should people hit based on their goals, um, and just talk through the options because this is obviously a super popular topic. So that was my plan for today, just to piggyback off of our awesome show last week. Um, so uh, we are live in Marshfield this morning, 781-837-4900, if anyone has any questions for us. Um, but in lieu of that, I thought I would just kind of start with um, vehicles for saving for college. And then later on in the show, um, Kirk, I thought we could play around with some some different calculators and uh, some uh, we can use traditional calculators or we can use our planning software to give people an idea of, you know, how, if I'm saving X per month for X number of years, uh, what am I going to be able to afford in terms of um, paying for school? So we have some resources to help people in that regard. But given that it's, um, you know, that, that time of year when the kids are going back to school, albeit in a slightly different fashion, perhaps than normal years, um, we just wanted to talk through some more education stuff. Sound like a plan? Yeah, I just uh, driving, uh, driving to the studio today, I just saw, you know, going past the high school, you know, the sign out front says, you know, it's like, welcome class of 2024 and I was just like oh man it just and just I mean just to think about you know another year starting and also just crazy how time flies and um you know how, how futuristic it sounds <laughs> class of 2024 well, that's yeah that's actually scary because our oldest daughter is class of 2029 so that's actually like not that far from I know that's not that far away. I was actually so trying to think about. Scary, I, was trying, I was trying to think about that on the way here. I was like, is she going to be the class of 2030? Because that would just sound so. Yeah. She's 2020. Not yeah. 20. We have a 28, a 29, and a 31. And mm. were you wondering how much do we have in those five 29s right now? <laughs> oh, I know. All right. So on that note. Um, I thought we could spend the first um, segment or so talking about uh, like in the specific accounts that people have available to them to save for education. Um, the most popular one being the 529. Now there's actually a couple different types of 529s. There's the 529 prepaid tuition plan. We'll talk about that in a minute. But by far the most popular savings vehicle for college is called the 529 college savings account. So that is a traditional um, investment account where you can tuck dollars away and earmark it for someone for education. Um, and yeah, go ahead. Sorry, we're going to have to uh, pardon, pardon the interruption this morning as we have actually six kids in the house this morning, <laughs> but so far they're being pretty good. And uh, so if I'm interrupted, that's why. Um, so 529 college savings account is a very tax efficient way for parents and grandparents or really any family member to save for uh, an intended beneficiary's education. So these are structured such that they are what's called a parental asset. And we'll, t we'll sort of talk about that in a little bit, but um, it's they're structured such that the, the parent is the the dollars are in the parent's social security number. So for example, mom opens up a 529, it's in her social security number, it's her money, she controls it, makes the decisions. She is just naming a child as an intended beneficiary. And we'll talk in, in a moment about how beneficiaries can be changed and those are quite flexible, but just, just getting to structure for a moment, 
the 529s are a parent's asset in a parent's social security number um, and you name a child as the beneficiary and it's just a really tax efficient way to save for education. So dollars go into the 529. You don't get a federal tax deduction. It's not like an IRA or a 401k where you're getting a tax deduction. However, in the state of Massachusetts, if you use the the Massachusetts 529, which is the Fidelity U Fund, you get a small Massachusetts tax break on your state tax return. So a married couple filing jointly can actually deduct if they put two thousand dollars or more or more in a given year into the Fidelity, the which is the Massachusetts plan. Now, again, we're going to touch on how it really doesn't matter which state's plan you use, but. Um, a married couple filing jointly, if you use the Fidelity U Fund, you, you do get to deduct uh, up to $2,000 per year, which translates to a tax savings of 100 bucks per year. So it's a small tax savings, but it is a tax savings if you use the Fidelity plan. Um, a single uh, filer can deduct up to $1,000 per year. Again, you have to contribute $1,000 or more in order to take the, to take the deduction. Um, but if a single filer adds a thousand bucks or more to his or her child's 529 and is using the, the Massachusetts U fund, um, you can that's the, that translates to a savings of 50 bucks. Um, so it's a small savings, but it's there. There's no federal tax deduction for putting dollars into a 529. But the benefit of these 529s is that if the dollars are removed, for education purposes, we'll touch on the specifics, um, all of the growth, so if you're investing those dollars, all of the growth and earnings over however many years the dollars are in that account are withdrawn tax-free if used for qualified education expenses. And we can get in, into a little bit more detail on that. But therein lies the beauty of the 529 is that all the earnings come out tax-free unless you make a withdrawal and don't use it for education. So for the um, most, so for the most part, so it's it they're post there's no yeah that's they're post tax dollars for the most part, um, you know with that right. maybe a small state deduction and I don't know I you know I don't know if I mean I'm obviously pretty much everybody listening is is our Massachusetts residents probably I don't know if other states have any more significant um, you know tax advantages I don't know if you're aware of that or not or if that's kind of the yeah, state I haven't maybe, yeah. I haven't looked into I haven't looked into that no I like I know I got some clients in New Hampshire and they don't have uh yeah I haven't looked into that um so no I just know about and that was actually that tax break is only it's relatively recent in the last I would well less than 10 years maybe it's more than five years ago that state law was changed to allow that small tax break um but it essentially also so the the nature of these of these 529 college savings accounts is such that they are they're they're hosted by a state so a state has to host this 529 college savings account and the states like partner with an investment institution so for example the state of massachusetts has partnered with fidelity and fidelity is providing the massachusetts 529 um for example for some of our clients we use um american funds being a great um in our opinion uh investment company with you know good investment choices and low costs etc and for example they uh, american funds has partnered with the state of virginia so american funds offer 
offers the Virginia State 529 plan. Um, and other states have, and like I think BlackRock is Ohio, and I, I don't know, I, Vanguard, I forget who Vanguard is. But anyway, it essentially doesn't, the state of your 529 college savings account is essentially irrelevant, except for, like we just talked about, the states which you reside in and whether or not you get a whether or not you get a state your state offers that small tax break but as far as what if i'm using the massachusetts uh, 529 the u fund college savings account and my son or daughter wants to go to school in california that is perfectly fine the state that hosts the 529 college savings account is irrelevant from the perspective of where your child goes to school and where you live other than like we talked about that small tax break if your state offers it um so people shouldn't worry about like i had a client come in the other day and they live in uh massachusetts and they wanted to put some money uh in and or, or if they want, if they wanted to put money in, uh, in this particular example, they they didn't want to put money in, but they had the I think it was the BlackRock Ohio five twenty nine, but they were living in Massachusetts, and what if their uh, granddaughter didn't want to go to school in Ohio? It doesn't matter. The state doesn't matter from that perspective. You just want to choose. I don't know why they wouldn't. Uh, why would they wouldn't want to go? Yeah, I mean, right, <laughs> right. Kirk being from Ohio, yes. Lots of good schools in Ohio, right? Mm -hmm. um, so essentially when it comes to choosing a 529, you want to choose an investment firm where you are comfortable with those investment choices and the costs associated with that. Or if you're working with a financial advisor and he or she uses, you know, XYZ states plan because uh, for whatever reason, like we use American funds, for example, often because we like their investment choices and their portfolios and the costs are reasonable and um, they have a good history of performance and stuff like that. So it, so don't worry about the specific state, except we're going to talk about prepaid tuition plans where the state absolutely matters. But in a 529 college savings account, it doesn't. Um, so these are very, the 529 is also really great because it's a very flexible type investment account in that you can change the beneficiary really at any time with no tax consequences, no costs. Um, it, and it's very, very flexible with regard to who you can change the beneficiary to. So these are great because sometimes mom or dad or grandparents want to start saving for a two-year-old's education. And they're kind of like, well, what if this, we don't know much about this child and their academic, uh, academically yet anyway. And what if he or she doesn't go to college? They, what if they, uh, you know, just go out and start working or whatever they do their own thing. So the uh, 529s are very, are awesome in that regard because you can change the intended beneficiary to really anyone in the extended family at any time, multiple times throughout the course of the year, no tax consequences, no cost that I'm aware of from any financial institution, um, but just very, very flexible. It's literally just paperwork. So let's say you've named your oldest daughter as the intended beneficiary of the 529. Don't forget it's a, it's a parent's asset and the parent, whoever owns that, the parent can make that decision at any time to say, you know what? It doesn't look like my daughter's going to go to college or maybe she gets, you know, some great merit based rewards or awards or whatever and doesn't need all the funds. Then you can change that beneficiary to another child really at any time. You can also change it and then change it back. Like if you have one 529, but three kids, we can talk a little bit later in the show about how you might not want to do that. But let's say you have uh, one 529 and three kids. You can withdraw money for 
for your oldest. And then the next year you can change the beneficiary to your middle and withdraw money for your middle child and then change it back if you need money for your oldest. So they're really flexible in that regard. And I actually, um, yeah, basically it's, I mean, it's, I mean, it's basically anyone within the family, right? Even, even as far as, uh, extended family. Does it go? I mean, so Kirk, so Kirk, I pulled up the tax code yep. to answer this yep. because I actually had a, a uh, client ask us the other day because they they were just kind of curious about well, you know, how how far does that extended family go? So I pulled up the tax code regarding uh, beneficiary changes and basically the way they uh, the language is that you can change the beneficiary to anyone who is a in quotes member of the family, and member of the family is defined in IRS code section. 529 and I'm just going to read it because it's um, it's not super long but the the term member of the family as defined by IRC uh, section 529 under current law a member of the family of a beneficiary is a person related to the beneficiary as follows number one a son or daughter or descendant of the beneficiary so like if you had uh, named an adult as the beneficiary, which you can do. You can name an adult and they're going to grad school or whatever. So you can change the beneficiary to that person's son or daughter or a descendant of either. You can change it to a stepson or stepdaughter of the beneficiary, a brother, sister, stepbrother or stepsister. So it can go across, you can go to siblings. Um, you can change it, you can go up a generation. So you can change it to the father or the mother of the beneficiary. Uh, you can change it to a stepfather or stepmother. You can change it to uh, a niece or nephew. So it's a, it technically says a son or daughter of a brother or sister. So you can change it to a niece or nephew, um, a brother or sister of the father or mother. So you can go up a generation and then across. You can do aunts or uncles, um, a son-in-law, daughter-in-law, father-in-law, mother-in-law, brother-in-law, or sister-in-law of the beneficiary as well, um, or the spouse of the beneficiary, or any of the other foregoing individuals, uh, or any first cousin of the beneficiary. So it's that's pretty broad. So you can go up and down generations, you can go across to siblings, aunts, uncles, um, cousins, nieces, nephews, moms, dads. So it's it, that's what I mean by it's kind of any member of the family uh, the family tree, it's not going, you know, se several, uh, it's not going up and then across and then back down, but it's, but it's pretty flexible in how you can change that. Beneficiary. Yeah. yeah so that's, a, what's really great about these. Yeah. It's, um, it's kind of amazing how, how broad that, you know, definition of family is, um, which, yeah. which cer certainly helps, um, yeah, because yeah, I was talking. I was talking to clients the other day that they have two kids, and you know they're just about uh, going into high school, and you know they, you know they, and they have five twenty nines for both of them, and you know they feel they felt kind of you know fairly strongly that there was a good chance one of them might not go to college, and you know so they were asking me about that, you know what do we do with this, or you know can we use it for the other child. Um, if, um, if, you know, cause you know, the other one probably, you know, is, you know, definitely going to go the first one, maybe, maybe not, you know, can, can we, can we use this for money for the other child? And, and yeah, the answer is yes. Um, you know, with no, yeah. no tax consequences. So that, that is, that is a nice, uh, a nice feature of that. And um, it, uh, we've actually had, I can actually think of a few client examples where they did great job saving in their 529s and um, 
was a situation where they ended up not needing all the money for education, which is a fantastic problem to have. And we'll talk in a little bit about how you can take money out and use it for your own purposes, not for education. There's, you know, tax, um, small tax penalty on the growth. Uh, there's income taxes and a small uh, 10% tax penalty on the growth to draw it out if it's not for education. But we've actually had examples where uh, mom and dad didn't need the funds for their son or daughter to go to college. They There was, you know, awards and stuff like that and they just didn't need all the money and they didn't need the money. So it was like, hey, why don't we save it and, you know, maybe we'll have grandkids one day and we'll just change the beneficiary at that time. So um, or, that's a really great option. Or, uh, or mommy needs a new kitchen. Uh, that too. Uh, we can talk about. Some, we can talk uh, about that. You yeah. pay some, yeah, small tax consequences to do that, but um, that's not the end of the world. Because remember, you're putting your after-tax dollars into a 529, at least at the federal level. So if you take the dollars out and you don't use it for qualified education, you pay income taxes and a 10% penalty on just the earnings component. You get your capital dollars back tax rate. Take a break. I'm gonna cut you off there. Yep, we're going to uh, take a break and uh, we will be right back. Okay, we are back. You are listening to McNamara on Money, the South Shore's very own financial talk radio show. Uh, and what are we, uh, we're educating investors of the South Shore since 1990, apparently. 1990. I just heard on the right, that's right. I always, I always want to say 97, but I, but I guess it's 90. So we just we're having our 30 year anniversary on WATD. Yeah, 97 is something. Is that, uh, I forget, maybe that's well, 19. 19- 1987 was the founding of McNamara Financial. Okay. 1990 is the founding of McNamara on Money. I see. I don't know what 97 is. Mm. I don't know why that sticks in my head. Okay. Uh, anyway. So, yeah. So, are, so yeah. Um, today we're talking about uh, saving for college. And um, if this is a call-in talk radio show, believe it or not. Uh, 781-837-4900. Uh, no callers yet, but maybe we'll get some. It's still, it's still young. Um, all right, should we continue? What I wanted to do is continue on talking about, there's just a couple more things I wanted to go over regarding 529 college savings accounts. Um, I, I just, I feel like everyone's heard of a 529, but as far as the specifics go, I, uh, I think it's just great to get some more information out there about how great they are and then talk through some of the other different types of accounts that people can technically utilized to save for education. Maybe, uh, you know, we can kind of go through why the 529 might be your best option, but actually maybe not. So a um, couple of other things on the 529, again, the college savings account, which is just, a, it's it's like a traditional investment account where you add money, you can invest it, or you can leave it in cash. It doesn't have to be invested. You can choose, uh, you know, different types of portfolios from aggressive to uh, moderate to conservative. Um, we can talk I was hoping we could talk more specifics about investing these dollars later on in the show based on the age of the intended beneficiary. Um, but just a couple more things on, on 529s. One is that uh, as of a couple of years ago, I want to say it was end of, when was the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, Jobs Act 2017 maybe, the end of 2017? Yeah. Um, there was a change regarding uh, ability to use 529s for primary and secondary school. So this was after the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, which I want to say was end of 17, maybe. So effective, I think, in 2018, parents could withdraw funds. So prior to that, 529s were just, the tax-free withdrawals were just 
for higher education. So for college, uh, trade school, higher education. Um, now parents and grandparents can withdraw up to $10,000 per year um, for uh, primary and secondary school. So for parents that have students in uh, private school, elementary or high school, middle or high school, you can withdraw funds from a 529 tax-free, but you are capped at $10,000 per year. And actually, I think it's per per, per beneficiary. Per, I can't remember if it's yeah, per, per beneficiary per, or per, per student. Parent. Per student, okay, thank yep. you. Yeah, I was wondering if it was per parent household or per student, okay. Um, yeah, so that's so that's great. So for uh, for parents that have like, I, I have, for example, I have a client who was, um, you know, saving in a 529 earmarking that for college, uh, unexpected, they unexpectedly uh, began sending their daughter to private um, elementary school for, you know, XYZ reason. And they were, it was just great for them to be able to, you know, as they're figuring out their cash flow and how to pay for it, to be able to use withdrawals from the 529 up to $10,000 per year. So that's great. Um, and that, and that is tax free. Anything beyond that would have uh, tax consequences. The other new, uh, more recent change to the 529 is that after the Secure Act, which was the end of 2019, so just uh, the end of last year, um, now parents and grandparents can take up to ten thousand dollars per year to and apply that toward student loans of the beneficiary. Now that 10,000 per year that can go towards student loans is a lifetime cap. So that is a one time, I can take $10,000 out of this 529 tax free and I can use it to help uh, son or daughter or, or you know niece or nephew or whatever granddaughter uh, pay off student loans. The Those dollars can be used uh, so a little bit more technical on that, but if you're using $529 on student loans, um, can you hear me? Yep, I was just gonna, we have a caller. Oh, okay, go ahead, I'll stop there. All right, uh, we, have, we have a caller from Brockton. Hello, can you hear us? Hi, I, I wonder if you can tell me what a circuit breaker is. It's a refund from Massachusetts. Hmm. I'm sorry, a circuit breaker? Circuit breaker. Is that your question? Yeah, I've heard of that, but I, on a, off the top of my head, I don't know the details. Something to do with um, how much you pay. I don't know how much you pay for your house taxes and stuff. Um, so it has to that for what I know what I know of that can you guys hear me I think my internet connection was a little unstable can you guys hear me yeah I can hear you oh okay so I I I, I can't I'm say that I'm an expert on so that I can hear it okay okay that's fine all right what was her what was the caller's name Kirk uh she did not say um oh, okay but yeah she was just right, asking so what what the circuit breaker I guess yeah so it looks like it's a tax credit for for Massachusetts um uh, for for I guess senior citizens yeah, it looks like you have to be 65 plus and it's regarding um, like your local bills. Like I think like what I'm looking at is that if your water and sewer bills are more than 10% of your gross income, uh, if you're an owner or I think it's a different, uh, looks like maybe 25% of gross income if you're a renter. Like if you're, if you're uh, those expenses 
uh, to the town are a certain percentage of your uh, gross income. Um, there's some sort of tax credit that you can apply for and qualify for. I, I don't, I'm, I can't say that I'm an expert on that. Um, I've heard that term, but I, I, I do not know. I'm trying to find out where you can get information on that. It well, looks like you can go to mass.gov actually um, and, and look for information on the circuit breaker. Looks like you have to be 65 plus to apply. Um, and there's some information here. If you go to mass.gov, let me see if there's an easy yeah. mass.gov how to apply for the circuit breaker credit. Yeah, go ahead, Kirk. Well, I was just going to say, it says here, you know, for, for at least for 2019, the, the maximum credit uh, that you could potentially earn was one thousand one hundred thirty dollars. Um, okay. And it basically, you know, and it's a refundable credit, meaning, you know, if 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 that amount is more than you owe, you actually will get a check. You know, you actually get money money back. Um, you know, fr from the government as opposed to just a, you know, an offset. Um, okay. But yeah, that's that's just for the just for Massachusetts. It only applies to you know to your mass uh, return. Um, yeah, and it looks like. Yeah, it looks are you on mass.gov, Kirk? Yes. Yeah, mass.gov. Like you're in, you have to be a resident of Massachusetts, obviously, 65 or older. Um, single gross income can't exceed $60,000, $90,000 for a married couple. Um, and yeah, it does say uh, ha, uh, if, if you are a homeowner, your Massachusetts property tax payments together with half of, I'm sorry, and your property tax payments together with half of your water and sewer. It must exceed 10% of your gross income. So if you make, if, if you're a single person, $60,000 a year of income, if your property taxes and half of water and sewer are more than 6,000 a year, it looks like you could qualify for the credit and you would go to, looks like you can go to mass.gov to apply. Maybe they direct you to the town, I'm not sure. Right. Is that what you're seeing, Kirk? Yep, yep, and, it's, uh, and then the other okay. thing, it says if you are a renter, 25% uh, of your annual Massachusetts rent must exceed 10% of your total Massachusetts income for the tax year. Okay. All right. So uh, for that caller who, if you are still listening, so I just put in, um, I would start at the mass.gov website. So if you just uh, go to your web browser and you and you search mass.gov circuit breaker, it's going to, the first hit is going to be the mass.gov website. That's at least a a trustworthy website for you to start and it looks like there's more information there. So thank you for the call. I'm sorry that we couldn't be experts in that regard, but it looks like there's tons of information on mass.gov. Um, all right, so let's get back to, you're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed, today joined by my husband and business partner, Kirk Reed, and we are talking about um, education savings. This is piggybacking off of our show from last week, which was awesome about financial aid and applying for college and the cost of college. Um, and we wanted to just get some more information out there, given it's that time of year where kiddos are going back to school. Um, and it's sort of like if, you know, any parent, this is like top of mind for almost any any parent, right? It's maybe not top of mind, but at least it's somewhere in your brain that this is an expense that is in your future, if uh, and if not your future, your child's future, um, potentially. And and we just wanted to get some information out about the best ways to save for college. So I just wanted to finish up five twenty nine college savings accounts, and then we'll move on from there. We don't need to spend more time on that. Can I? Uh, basically, can I, they're awesome. Yeah, I had one. <laughs> yeah. I had one. Uh, just one bullet point on. Um, 
you know, scholarships. Uh, you know, sometimes, you know, kids uh, are fortunate enough to maybe receive a, you know, a, a, a big scholarship or even a full ride scholarship, you know, from a, from a college. And, you know, the question is, well, what, what do they, you know, what do you do with the 529 money um, if you, if you no longer need it, you know, for, for school. And, you know, as we talked about earlier, you know, one thing you could do is you could always, if, if you have multiple kids, you know, you could always, you know, transfer those, uh, those monies to another, uh, to another child uh, that, that might need it for college. Um, or um, you are allowed to basically take, you know, whatever, whatever the amount of the scholarship is that, that, that they receive, you can take that amount out of the 529 uh, without penalty. Uh, you still have to pay taxes on the earnings, uh, but, you, but you don't have to pay the 10% uh, penalty. Um, so, there, you know, so there is a little bit of a break there. Um, the other... Um, the other thing that's a possibility, and and I, you know, we, um, you know, we haven't run into this too much, but um, what I what I've seen is that depending on the, you know, the on the five twenty nine institution, um, you could potentially. Um, you know, take the money out in the beneficiary's name and have them pay the taxes. And theoretically, they'd be in a much lower tax bracket, but I guess that's dependent upon uh, the 529 and whether or not they allow that. Um, so that's something to uh, okay. potentially explore um, if, if you should, you know, should be in that situation. I just wanted to talk quickly about ownership of 529 and how there is a little bit of strategy related to ownership and financial aid. So the traditional ownership structure is that mom or dad own the $529 and they name their child, one of their children, as the intended beneficiary. If that is the case, and if mom or dad are going to be applying for need-based aid, um, on the FAFSA anyway, a 529 in the parent's name is a parental asset and parental assets are count uh, roughly i think there's it's a little bit of a sliding scale but roughly six or six and a half percent of the value of parental assets are counted toward the expected family contribution so dollars in the parent's name slightly in the 529 i mean slightly negatively affect uh need-based aid in that they slightly increase the expected family contribution but it's only roughly six percent of the value of the dollars in that 529 that are expected as a family contribution so it's a relatively small percentage uh, especially compared to dollars in the student's name um so so i guess the, the point well, there the point there is it's it's not a good reason to not save it's not a good reason to not save money for college, yeah, right? Some yeah. people are like, well, I don't want to put money in the 529. It's going to affect my expected family contribution. But it's, but it's your best way. But, but I, I don't think that people should fully rely on aid to pay for school. I think if they have any means whatsoever to save in advance, they absolutely should. Yeah, right? and, 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 um, and the point, and another point there is that, you know, aid oftentimes means loans. It's not, it's not free money. You know, uh, right. I think sometimes confu- people confuse that right. and think that if they look, if they look like they have less money that they're going to get more help, but that's not, that's not necessarily the case. It just, it might mean that they're going to be eligible for more loans, but that, I mean, right. that's, that's money you have to pay back. Right. Or, or somebody does anyway. Right. So, yeah. so there is a little bit of strategy with regard to when you want to be withdrawing funds from the 529. So if the 529 is in the parent's name, because it is a parental asset and because you fill out the FAFSA every year, if you're applying for need-based aid, you want to, you want to use up parental assets 
in the first year or two of college so that for subsequent years, like years three and four, for example, if there are fewer dollars in the 529 when you fill out the FAFSA for the third and the fourth time, um, then your expected family contribution could be a little bit lower because there were fewer dollars in the 529. You use those up and sort of got them off the books for when you fill out the FAFSA. So parental assets like a parent on 529 um, if there's any strategy or any flexibility with regard to when you know you use that, I would say try to use that up at the beginning of the education. Um, it's a little bit different for grandparent-owned 529. So it's fairly common for grandparents to want to open 529s and save, even if it's a small dollars, uh, for their grandkids' education. So grandparent-owned 529s uh, under the FAFSA are not a parental asset. So they are not, they do not need to be declared as an asset of the parent. So they do not count toward expected family contribution. However, if a grandparent uh, withdraws funds and, and helps uh, their grandkid pay tuition expense uh, in the first year or two of college, that actually has to be declared as income for that student. And so income in a student's name would reduce uh, the potential aid in subsequent years because it would increase the expected family contribution. So if there are grandparent-owned 529s, the strategy is that those want to be consumed toward the end of the student's education so that they don't negatively affect financial aid in the first few years because income in a student's name actually quite negatively affects uh, potential aid yep. awarded because it significantly increases yeah, expected family I, contribution. Yeah, stu student, student income, right, is the number one weighted um, factor as far as student EF, EFC. Student income and student assets. I think income, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah so, so that's, yeah, that's, that's... Is income the number one and student assets number two? I believe so, yeah. Um, so I, but I, generally those are pretty small numbers. So like really it's the, pa the parent's income that is the, the right. huge variable. Yeah, but there. but in, th in this yeah. example, yeah, like you're saying, if, you know, say a grand a grandparent, you know, gives the child, you know, $10,000 or 15,000, whatever it is. I mean, that's a that's a pretty big chunk of money for, for a child to show his income. And that could, that could definitely um, impact the the contribute the expected contribution for the you know for the following year so yeah so that's right and, th and these are generalizations I mean it all depends you know you got to look at the whole picture but but yeah I, I see what you're saying about you know for the grandparent you want to you probably want to push those uh, towards you know later years in, in college for the, for that reason uh, typically that probably makes right. sense yeah so Arden is here joining us today this is I, our youngest daughter Arden. I can see that she is how old are you do you want to say hello she is seven turning eight and we do have a 529 for Arden and we save for you in the event that you want to go to college one day. But I keep telling her that she does have this option to um, attend college, you know, to live at home and attend college. You can live at home with mom and dad and you can attend college either on your computer or you can drive to classes and then you can come home and still live with mommy. Do you want to do that? She's not sure. You don't have to leave me. <laughs> at this at this rate, yeah, she, uh, all of our kids could be living at home and going to college for the, forever. Yeah. You know? Oh my gosh, such a weird. Yes, it's very very common uh, for people to do that, especially this year and potentially next year. Um, yeah. So that's. Um, 
I don't think I have anything else to, did you have anything else on 529 college savings accounts? I think we can quickly touch on- On 529? So, um, yeah. did you talk about the tax consequences for non- um, Oh no, you want, yeah, why oh, don't you go over that? Okay, so, you know, so yeah, so, you know, it, it could come to, to pass that, you know, you don't need the money uh, for college uh, or maybe something comes up and you need to take the money for something else, you know, an emergency or whatever, um, you know, for the parent, for the owner. So you can, you can certainly do that. Um, but the, so the way it's going to work from a tax uh, perspective is that you're going to pay income tax and potentially a 10% penalty uh, on the earnings piece. So, you know, the, the dollars that you put in are, are after-tax dollars. So th th those dollars will come back, you know, tax-free, but any, any growth that the account has um, experienced, you're gonna pay, you're gonna pay taxes and, and, and potentially a penalty uh, on those dollars if you use it for something other than, than college. Um, and that happens, you know, it, it happens, uh, but that's, that's the way, that's the way it is. Um, there, there are, I think there are some, you know, I, I, off the top of my head, I don't know the exemptions for, you know, for avoiding the 10% penalty. Um, maybe, you know, those Alyssa, but, um, but in general, you know, if it's, if, it, if you're just taking the money to, you know, buy something, whatever, if it's not, if it's not a, a hardship or, or something like that, you're most likely going to pay that, you know, that 10% penalty. Um, yeah. And if that's, and if that's the biggest problem you have that you saved all this money for education and you didn't need it and you pay some taxes on earnings, well, welcome to being an American. We, we generally, there's pretty much, uh, any other investment account, uh, pretty much any other investment uh, type account that you would invest your money in anyway, you would pay some taxes on the earnings. Okay? Yeah, and, so, if, and, and, just, um, and just for, you know, one, and not one, the end of the world. one more little piece of detail. So like any, anytime you take money out, so like if you take like a partial distributions, um, the way that they code it is it's always, they always proportionally send you a piece of uh, principal and a piece of earnings. Um, and, you know, the, the 529 yeah. institution will, you know, track that and, um, you know, from, from whenever you start putting money in. And so when they send you a check, it, it'll have that breakdown on there. You know, this, this so much of the check is return of principal and so much of the check is, is earnings. Um, and that's how you're going to get and that's how you're going to get taxed potentially if you know if you're using it for, for something other than qualified yeah. uh, qualified college expenses. One other one other quick FAQ on 529s is that I get this question a lot. So five so qualified education expenses are tuition, room, board, fees um, associated with that. But I often get the question: Can we use 529 dollars for off-campus housing expenses? And the answer is uh, yes, you can. I believe the student has to be enrolled at least half time and the 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 amount you withdraw for off campus housing cannot cannot exceed what the cost would be for room and board on campus. So if you're paying uh, rent for your son or daughter and they're a full time student whatever you are withdrawing from the 529 tax free for rent cannot exceed the cost for room and board at that institution for that tax year. But so I get that question a lot. So the answer is yes, in most situations you can, but you just have to watch the amount of the dollars and figure out, uh, get the, the number from the institution regarding what room and board would be, how would have been on campus. So that's pretty easy. Um, one other quick thing, maybe we can just like wrap this up before the break is that there are, there, 
Um, there is another type of 529 in, in the 520, section 529 of the tax code. It's the 529 prepaid tuition plans. I, I have to say, I'm not, I'm not an expert on these. They're not very common. The reason that they're not very common, I think is a good one. It's essentially that um, these prepaid tuition plans is that you are, you have to select a state and you have to know that your son or daughter is going to go to school at an in-state school in a certain state. And what happens is if you say, you know what, I went, I'm an alum of UMass and my son, my son and daughter are going to go to UMass um, or something, you know, for example, you can prepay tuition essentially you can lock in tuition at current rates you can like buy credits um, and, and pay like a certain percentage of current year tuition so that you can avoid inflationary increases on tuition um, and you don't have to pay like the full year you can buy credits and pay like a certain percent prepay a certain percentage and then like you'll have like if you pay 10 percent, for example this year that when your son or daughter gets to school you will have you will have enough credit for 10% of that year. So you will have avoided inflationary increases on whatever percentage uh, you locked in using those credits. The, the problem with those is that they're state, they are state specific. That 529, the prepaid tuition plan is state specific. I think there is some fine print regarding states that have relationships with each other that I'm not 100% sure of. Um, and the, the problem is that if, if your son or daughter actually goes to school in a different state, you do get, you can get your capital back, but it's your capital back, I believe with no, either no earnings or very, very, very little interest credited to that. So you're, um, there, there, you, you arguably may have been like, if you did it 10 years prior, you arguably would have been better off uh, investing those funds and, and having the growth uh, potentially outweigh that. So, so they're not incredibly popular because they are state specific and, you know, we just live in this world where, um, well, at least not, maybe not in 2020, but we live in this world in general where, um, you know, they're, they're, it's common for, for kids to go in other states and, um, that's great. But so those aren't as common, but I just wanted to touch on those because some people do ask about that. That's where you like lock in tuition credits and, um, but you have to know the state that your student is going to go to school in. And I yeah. guess if they're old, old enough, maybe they know. Um, yeah, and that's, you know, and that's maybe one, you know, you could, I guess that might be attractive for somebody, you know, obviously, yeah, you have to know that they're going to go to school in the state. And, you know, if maybe for somebody that's risk averse, right, um, that doesn't want to invest dollars, but, you know, yeah. this is kind of a way to get a re get a return, so to speak, on your money without, you know, it's basically guaranteed, right? It, it, it You know, you get, you know, you get the cost of, um, you know, the increased cost of college in the state without having to worry about, you know, what the what the market's doing. Um, so, you right. know, kind of another way to look at it, uh, you know, that might be attractive to some folks. Um, so, like, yeah. yeah, because, I mean, we, you know, we figure on average what uh, the inflation on college is four or five percent per year or something, something in that range. So um, you're kind of, you know, kind of guaranteeing yourself that that kind of a return on your money, you know, any any dollars that you put towards that plan. Um 
but again, yeah, the, the flexibility there, I think is kind of the, kind of, you know, that's, that's the biggest downside. Um, yeah. you know, do you, do you, you know, that's, that's a big, that's a big if, um, and I, I just, you know, that's, that's a tough one. I think, I think in the 520, the, whereas the savings plan just gives you a, a whole lot more flexibility, uh, which is, you know, yeah. that's, that's why we typically re- recommend that, that option, um, just because of the, the flexibility there. Yeah. Um, so I know we have like, we have a break in a minute or so. So, um, yeah, so you're, uh, you're listening to McNamara on money. I'm Alyssa McNamara Reed this morning. I have the luxury of being at home via technology. Kirk is in studio. My husband and business partner, Kirk Reed. Um, just quick, quickly, we're talking about uh, education savings this morning. We had a great show last week about financial aid uh, with the folks from Vested Academics right here in Massachusetts. They had a financial aid expert and um, college counselor and, and uh, the CEO was with us. If you missed that show, you can find our podcast. You you can search your podcast app, uh, search for McNamara on money. We also went Facebook live last week. So you can go to the McNamara on money Facebook page and you can see uh, the recording of last week's Zoom uh, call. And uh, that one was really great. And this morning we're sort of piggybacking off of that and just talking about education, uh, ways to save. And we have lots more coming up after the break. We'll be right back. 